Good morning, Riverside, San Bernardino, Inland Empire, and listeners around the world. Welcome to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. I'm your host, Angeline Marie. Thanks for taking the time to join us this morning. We're broadcasting from our flagship station, KCAA, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. If you're located in the Southern California Inland Empire, you'll find us on KCAA 1050 on the AM dial. If not, you can find us streaming on kcaaradio.com or talkstreamlive.com. You can also hear our program rebroadcast on Red State Talk Radio at redstatetalkradio.com, and you can check their website for broadcast days and times. You'll find podcasts posted on kcaaradio.com to listen at your leisure. And don't forget, you can always learn more about our show at truthseekersradioshow.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Elena George, and we're going to discuss the truth about Obamacare and the future of health care. Dr. Elena George is a board-certified otolaryngologist. She graduated from Princeton University with a degree in biology. She received her master's degree in medical microbiology from Long Island University and received her medical degree from Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. She has published in several scientific journals and presented her research at national meetings. As a solo practitioner in private practice, who's also a small business owner, she has a unique perspective on the problems of healthcare delivery, the true cost of healthcare, and viable solutions. Dr. George's interest in the politics of healthcare and the reform effort has led her to become both a powerful voice for the practicing physician and an advocate for the patient. She is a contributor to a wide variety of websites that include biggovernment.com and newsmediajournal.us. And Dr. George has been on has been a guest on several radio shows and hosts her own show called Medicine on Call, a weekly talk show that explores health issues and the politics of medicine. Welcome, Dr. George. How are you doing this morning? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, thank you so much for sharing this important information with our listeners today. So, of course, the topic of discussion, Obamacare. So, Dr. George, just what is the truth about Obamacare? Is it really about affordable and accessible health care? No, unfortunately, it's not. I've been following this since, since its inception. I'm, I've been in solo practice since 2001. And from the time I opened my doors to today, it's been a constant onslaught against independent physicians. And the cost of healthcare, which has been the, the driving factor, everybody keeps talking about how much it costs and how much, you know, how much the fault lies with physicians. It's all been kind of a smokescreen. And if people really understood exactly what the delivery of healthcare entails and where the true costs lie, they really would understand that Obamacare is not fixing the problem, but it's actually doubling down on the things that people hate most about healthcare very little access to their physicians, the costs will continue to rise, and the choice to choose what, how you want to care for yourself and your loved ones will be taken away from you. That's really, it's about control. It's mm-hmm. not about health care. Yeah. Has any, has it really come into effect yet? Has it been put into action yet? 
a lot of it has. I mean, a lot of it has been that it, you know, there's pieces of it that have already come online. If you remember back when they when they passed the bill, they they talked about you needed to pass it to know what was in it. There's a lot of tenants in there that literally set up the infrastructure for Obamacare. For example, a lot of money is now spent for physician extenders, things people like nurse practitioners, um, medical assistants, not MDs. And this is really going to be the future of healthcare, where you're not seen by a medical doctor, but you're seen by an extender, such as a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, a technician, who will follow the algorithms that are set forth by Obamacare. And if you, again, the bill sets um, sets up a ton of different um, systems where there are committees that decide how you treat people for certain medical illnesses, how long somebody should take before treatment is working, how long they should be allowed to stay in the hospital. It's not driven anymore by the doctor and the patient. It's being driven, driven by bureaucrats and bureaucracy that get to decide who deserves what, you know, what slice of the, of the healthcare pie. Okay, now I know there the backstory, at least for the for the physician. I know ha- haven't they had to put a lot of like health information management process, uh, processes into place first? I mean that in itself has got to, to take a lot of money, a lot of time. Oh, absolutely. Um, what's happened is under the guise of electronic medical records, which have been sold to the public as a way to keep your health information um, and share it no matter where you are in the country, what it's actually done is it's put quite a few independent doctors out of business, especially those who are somewhat at the end of their career. Instead of making a huge outlay for a new computer system, a new medical record system, a lot of my colleagues have just left the profession altogether. Then there's the others who closed their practices and then joined into hospital systems where they now become employees and no longer have the ability to take care of their patients the way they see fit. So they become part of a corporate system because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. Other than the, the health information part, what are some other ways that it's affecting physicians' practices? You have now a ton of regulations. Um, HIPAA was one that was put into place under um, under President Clinton, which is the Health Information Portability um, Act, basically, which says you your health information is now private and nobody can access it except you and whoever you give the approval to have access it. But what that means for doctors now is that any violation whether it's advertent or inadvertent, means that you could be on the hook for $25,000 fines per occurrence and maybe jail. So there's a lot of, it's a very chilling effect on physician practices and trying to keep up to make sure that they don't run afoul of this, this regulation. You also have Medicaid and Medicare, which have now become, I, I would say, adversaries to the doctor-patient relationship. They've put a full full court press on uh, fraud and abuse. And what they've managed to do is get the people who aren't committing it, the, you know, the, the small group, the small doctor, who they shut down because you can't fight them. And places like the hospitals basically have a whole system in place to fight these audits. 
And in these, in some of these instances, you can be audited by Medicare and Medicaid. You didn't commit a crime by any stretch of the imagination, but they can just come in and close you down, take your, your whatever you were paid, claw it back, and in some cases actually jail you. So it makes it hard for somebody to want to take a Medicare or Medicaid patient because they're afraid if they do anything, they may be put out of business. So what we're seeing is less, less, um, no, use, less possibility for people with Medicaid and Medicare to be seen by physicians. And they're now being locked into hospital systems with clinics, with long waits, with very little doctor-patient contact. And that's not how the system should be set up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dr. George. Well, we're coming up on a break, so we'll hold it right there. Listeners, our guest today is Dr. Elena George, and we're talking about the truth about Obamacare, the future of health care. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show. We'll be back right after this message. Many people tell me many things to believe in, but without God's word, how can I know what the truth is? Are you willing to give what God has freely given to you? Wycliffe Associates provides opportunities for people with a willing heart to serve the master builder so that others will have the ability to let their hearts hear the good news of Jesus Christ. With no Bible in their heart language, millions are left never knowing the truth. You can change that by becoming a Wycliffe Associates volunteer, helping translators start a Bible translation in every language that needs one by the year 2025. Call 800-THE-WORD and find out how you can invest in eternity. And I know that this investment will continue to grow forever. Every verse, every tongue, and every task. That's the calling of a Wycliffe Associates volunteer. Call 1-800-THE-WORD and see where you fit in. That's 800-843-9673. Or go to our website at WycliffeAssociates.org. the same foods now that you did when you were a toddler? Of course not. We all mature and so should our diet and that means eating right at every age. This is Sylvia Escott Stump of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Certain foods offer vitamins and minerals for good health throughout life, especially in our golden years. For healthy bones, eat three servings a day of vitamin D fortified fat-free milk and other calcium-rich foods like dark green, leafy vegetables, and fortified cereals. Potassium can help prevent high blood pressure and is found in fruits, vegetables, milk, and yogurt. Foods with plenty of fiber can help prevent heart disease and type 2 diabetes and help you keep your weight down, especially fruits, grains, beans, lentils, and vegetables. Get information on healthy eating at any age and visit www.eatright.org. Encouraging you to eat right, I'm registered dietitian Sylvia Escott Stump with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics.
welcome back. You're listening to the True Seekers radio show. Today, our guest is Dr. Elena George, and we're discussing the truth about Obamacare and the future of health care. So, Dr. George, before we went to the break, we were talking about the effects on the practitioner. It almost seems like from what you said that they're almost, would you say, almost intentionally pushing solo practitioners into these big groups or trying to dissolve them? And if they are trying to do this, what do you think that reason is? I think they are trying to get rid of um, anybody who's who has a very individualized approach to medicine where it's not one size fits all, where you're not going to follow an algorithm and the patient and doctor relationship is sacrosanct. That's, and that's the antithesis of Obamacare. The whole point of, of this system is to drive us into socialized medicine if you look at the global healthcare market, if you want to put it that way, the United States is the last country to join into the socialized medicine system. And there's something called the ICD um, codes, it's the coding system. We have ICD-9 that's currently in effect in the United States, and we're about to enter ICD-10, which is part of the World Health Organization and the, the global um, construct of healthcare. Under that system, if you look at Canada, UK, um, New Zealand, all the other countries who have socialized medical systems use this coding system, and the healthcare is not on par with what's been, what, what we've had in the United States to date. We've heard a lot of, of people saying that it's, it's more costly, but it has worse outcomes. It's not true. We have a better um, long lifetime um, I should say five-year, 10-year life expectancy from cancer, from things like, uh, you know, trauma, traumatic injuries. We have a a much better system that is different than the rest of of the world. And we're now about to drop our system down to that level. Yet we've been sold the, the mindset that, you know, we have a bad system and if we just cover 30 million more people, we're gonna have panacea of you can get whatever you want it's going to be for free and everybody's going to love it well the system's already broken because it's already been driven by special interest groups who which i'm sure we'll discuss in a few minutes actually stood to gain from obamacare remember obamacare was not written by doctors or patients the people who were in there at the beginning of this were the special interest group the hospitals the pharmaceutical companies the uh, drug companies the unions and unfortunately, the AMA, which maybe your listeners may or may not know, only represents one in five doctors. The AMA is not a friend of doctors, nor is it a friend of patients. It's all about making money because it's a lobby group. And the way the system is set up, they control the, the coding system. And the insurance companies have to buy the information from the AMA. So they're making money on this. Of course, they'd want to have us enter a big system because it's perpetually going to make them money. Same thing goes for the insurance companies. If you think of who stood to gain, and that's kind of my mantra, follow the money. Because if you look at who stood to gain, you would understand what the system is designed, who it's designed to work for. People like, or I should say organizations like AARP, realized that under Obamacare, there was going to be rationing, and senior citizens wouldn't be able to get the standard of care they were used to. Was that meant a hip replacement or a cataract surgery? So they realized it would have to have, you know, uh, additive, you know, um, 
Advantage, uh, Medicare Advantage and other things that supplement the Medicare system. And they were positioning themselves perfectly to be the go-to company, and they've made a million on, on the fact that people knew or people were afraid they weren't going to get covered so they had extra supplemental benefits. Same thing goes to the drug companies. Under Obamacare, if you have a health savings account, in the, in the old days before Obamacare, you could use it to buy toothpaste or vitamins or anything over the counter. Under Obamacare, you have to have prescription drugs. And at the beginning of this, it might have changed now, but at the beginning it was only brand name prescription drugs that you could use to buy it. So basically you're talking about using the most expensive iteration of healthcare delivery. And in my opinion, that's not about patient care. That's about corporate interests making money on the backs of patients and doctors while they demonize doctors as the cause of the problem. And we didn't stand up for ourselves, which I'm very disappointed in my colleagues um, about because, you know, an average doctor is about taking care of their patient, putting their head down and working harder, not trying to look out for who's coming after them. And unfortunately, we're all in the same boat now, doctors and patients, Mm -hmm. even the hospitals. The hospitals are the, let's be clear. I want to make this extremely clear to the patients. I'm sorry. People who are listening, sorry, I'm kind of in my mode here, but the cost of health care is not driven by an individual doctor. I charge the same amount of money I charge when I open my practice. It's the hospital. If I can take a patient to a hospital and have them pay thousands, and I, I've gotten some patients who told me this, $4,000 for a CT scan of the sinus in the hospital, another $300 just to walk into the ER, I mean, the bill was about $15,000 for a workup of a headache, and they still didn't find the answer. So when she came to see me as an outpatient, um, you know, and I figured out it was a sinus infection, and she got treatment for a fraction of what it cost her in the hospital, you start to wonder, why is it costing them $4,000 to do a CT in the hospital when it costs about three fifty in an outpatient um, radiology center? What's the difference? And the difference is all of these layers, all of these hidden fees. And I challenge anybody who goes to a hospital to look at their bill and and make them itemize it and find out what's in miscellaneous because that's usually the biggest cost driver in a in a hospital bill. And I would make ask anybody to challenge the hospital to make them prove why it costs so much. And I can guarantee you they probably drop the price. So they're getting away with jacking up the price for every aspirin every bedpan, every toothbrush, everything they give you in the hospital, and it's not worth that. But that's what drives the medical fees in this country. But unfortunately, they have a lot more money, and they can they can work with Congress and whomever to make sure that their pockets are not ever left empty, where the patients and the doctors are on the hook for most of this. So I think people need to be aware and start to shop around and actually start to really make People prove how much money it costs to run something. And, you know, shop with your pocketbook instead of settling. That would be the first way to get your power back. Mm-hmm. I heard you talk about, it must have been in another interview, I heard you talking about Monsanto and how they had just passed the legislation that would allow them to put whatever they want in food. And I'm thinking they've manufactured quite a setup for themselves. I mean, 
so you have Monsanto making this junk in a lab. People eat it, get sick, have to get into the healthcare system. Then they get stuck in the healthcare system. They become dependent on it with big pharma. And then that big pharma money is going back to the pockets of the uh, politicians. So if you look at it from their perspective, it's a great setup. I don't know how great it is for the patients, though. It's not. It's a medical industrial complex. You know, there was a bill, I, I think it was in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, and it's like a Monsanto bill where if it, if Monsanto, they thought it passed too, I think it hopefully will be overturned. But if down the road genetically modified food is found to cause illness, it might cause cancer, if you're a victim of it, you cannot sue Monsanto. They are immune from being sued for, liable, for, for liability. So that means they can do whatever they like to you and they get a pass. And that was passed legislatively. I think it has a time limit on it of a couple of years or so, and it could be overturned. But the fact that that could be the case, every doctor should question that. Every, every American should be up in arms that there's a potentially unsafe product, which has never really been tested, which we all are consuming whether we like it or not. If we're eating anything that's preserved and it has corn in it, high fructose corn syrup or soy, and chances are, or wheat now, we might be getting genetically modified food, which has never been tested in humans for long-term, you know, long-term testing. But in animals, it has been shown to, to cause spontaneous abortions, sterility, and tumor production. It's a scary thing that we may actually be making ourselves sick with what we eat, but we don't have an advocate. The government's not on our side on this one at all. And so if you think about the whole system, the way it's set up, it's about disease. It's about disease-driven medicine, not about health care. And that's supposed to be what it's, it's supposed to be about prevention and all these things that they're touting, but it's not really what's going on if you really pull back the cover. It's not making it easy for someone to stay healthy. It's working against us. And unfortunately, as long as doctors and patients put our heads in the sand about this and not fight it, it will continue. Well, I think I know the answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask. So do you plan to take Obamacare in your medical practice, or how, how are you going to run your practice? Well, right now, unfortunately, I've had to stop taking Medicaid and Medicare um, because it became so onerous that I found that it was making me choose between my Hippocratic Oath and patient care. And that's not an option for me. I went into medicine because I love what I do. And like a majority of the people who who go into medicine, I want to help somebody, not hurt them. And so in my opinion, and I'm not alone, if you talk to any independent physician now who's not employed by somebody, we've seen the writing on the wall for quite a while. And I have no interest in taking Obamacare. That would make me work against the interests of my patients. But I'm pretty savvy. I, I have a sliding scale for people who don't have insurance. I barter. Um I do whatever I have to do to make sure that my patients can see me in a cost-effective manner, and I still practice individualized health care. So if some, everybody who comes in my door doesn't get the same thing, and it's not about treating the problem, it's about treating, I'm sorry, treating the symptom, it's about treating the problem. So mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of just drugging everybody. It's about thinking about what's best for the individual patient. And I have to tell you, it's a lot more cost-effective, a lot less surgery goes on, and patients actually get better. I just don't manage people. And there's a growing number of doctors who believe that. 
the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons is one group that I belong to. Across the country, there's a ton of us out there. People need to know that they don't have to settle. If you don't want to see um, an extender, then you should ask to see an, a medical doctor. If you want to see a doctor who spends more time on you than looking at a computer screen, you need to vote with your feet. Instead of having someone call in a prescription for you, you need to start demanding to be seen because maybe it's not an antibiotic that you need. Maybe you actually, you know, maybe you have a virus. All sorts of things that patients now need to start educating themselves and shopping because if they end up in the system, I have to tell you, they're not going to like what ends up happening to them. And the older you get, the less likely you're going to be happy with the system. I know a lot of people talked about rationing and death panels and that sort of thing, but it's actually true. I mean, I'm a physician to tell you this. I did a show on this a while back where I talked to an anesthesiologist who told me that in her hospital, and this is across the country, there are actually bioethics panels that if you get admitted to an ICU and you're in a critical condition and you actually have a living will which states what your preferences are, these bioethics panels can actually supersede your living will and cut off care to you without telling your family members or anybody. Now, that to me is unbelievable. I, my mouth was hanging open when she told me this story on my show. Mm-hmm. But it's, that's what medicine is coming to. You have panels that decide. You don't get to decide. Your doctor doesn't get to decide. And your decisions are going to be made for you. Either you're going to cost too much to the system, you're a senior citizen, so, you know, you've already lived your life, so, you know, good luck to you. Or if you're the person going to come for the seniors, in my opinion, the next thing you'll do is come for the neonates, the, the children with many medical problems who are born prematurely. That's another big cost driver, according to these bureaucrats, and that's what they're all about. If, if you're not a viable working individual who's going to pay taxes, I don't believe they're going to spend a lot of money on you anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dr. George, well, we're going to take a break. Listeners, our guest today is Dr. Elena George. We're discussing the truth about Obamacare and the future of healthcare. You're listening to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. Antioxidants, you've heard of them, but do you know what they're good for or where to get them? This is Sylvia Escott Stump of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Antioxidants, they destroy the free radicals that cause cellular damage, and eating foods that are rich in antioxidants may help prevent cancer and heart disease. These foods include red wine in addition to grape juice, whole grain pasta, eggs, seafood, and canned beans, brightly colored vegetables, carrots, squash, broccoli, all the peppers, sweet potatoes, tomatoes, and kale are other tasty sources. And for those of you with a sweet tooth, good news. Honey, brown sugar, and maple syrup, in addition to fruits like blueberries, cantaloupe, peaches, and strawberries, also contain significant levels of antioxidants. Encouraging you to eat right. I'm registered dietitian Sylvia Escott Stump with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. For every translator on the field, we need at least two volunteers. There's a role for you in the Ministry of Bible Translation. If you're willing, you can help. On a computer, sewing machine, a car, on a ladder, there's work you can do. 
Wycliffe Associates volunteers help build the translation training centers, provide systems for clean water, do office work, and share the unquenchable Word of God to those who desperately seek eternal life. I want to know about Him. Please help me find Him. Learn how you can become a Wycliffe Associates volunteer and take part in the goal of Vision 2025, helping start a Bible translation in every language that needs one by the year 2025. Call 800-THE-WORD. Would I do this again? In a heartbeat. If God is calling you to make a difference, call us at 1-800-THE-WORD. That's 800-843-9673. Or go to our website at WycliffeAssociates.org and find out how you can become a Wycliffe Associates volunteer. Welcome back. You're listening to the True Seekers Radio Show. Today, our guest is Dr. Elena George, and we're discussing the truth about Obamacare and the future of health care. And Dr. George, before we go on, would you like to give a website so that some of the, your great articles can get out to our listeners? Sure. Um, I've been writing a blog for about three years. It's called DrElenaGeorge.com. That's D-R-E-L-A-I-N-A, George, like the man's name, dot com. And, and how... They can also, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, how could they listen to your show? I was just going to say, they can go to America's Web Radio, and um, my show runs live at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays, but it's also podcast either on, on their website or by iTunes. Okay. So it sounds like I've, I've been hearing a lot about this new model of practice. It's sort I think I've heard the word concierge thrown around versus the traditional mm -hmm. model. Is that sort of like what you do? No, um, I guess I'm a, I'm a purist. I don't think people should have to pay extra money for me to do what I train to do. Um, so there's concierge medicine generally means that you pay a fee, um, an overall fee yearly. And for that fee, you get absolute access to the physician, their cell phone number. They have spent an hour, maybe hour and a half to when you go in for your physical exam. Um, there's no gatekeeper, so there's no middleman between you and your doctor. Um, they also take insurance, so if you have to have procedures done or any kind of lab test done, that would engage your insurance. So it's kind of a hybrid. Then they have other practices who just take cash, um, and I've, that seems to be a growing model. And in actuality, that's pretty reasonable for the patient. I actually work with a um, urgent care group in, here in Atlanta who charge a flat fee no matter what happens. As soon as you walk in the door, if you need an x-ray, blood work, it's one, one charge. And they find that it's about the volume since they don't have to do so much paperwork. To go through insurance and all the other nonsense that you have to go through, you can make the prices much cheaper. And the patients know up front what the costs are. So they start shopping around, there's competition, and the quality goes up. And that's like with anything, you know, if you have, if you know what the costs are and you can make an intelligent decision, everybody who has, you know, who's critically thinking would go to the place that they feel like they're getting the best care. Sometimes it'll be the cheapest. Sometimes it might be a little bit more money, but it would actually get rid of the system where nobody cares. It's like you're just a cost center, just money coming in and forget about um, customer service. 
forget about making the cost reasonable. You know, the systems that are bloated like that, and that's what Obamacare will actually reward. And if you look at how the hospitals are setting themselves up, they're becoming conglomerates. I mean, there's whole sections, in, like Atlanta, for example. There used to be dozens of hospitals in our city. Now they're all satellites of three major systems. And community hospitals are pretty much gone. They've, they've actually brought out, brought out the um, surgery centers. And what people need to understand is the cheapest, if you want to keep your costs low, unless you're deathly ill, you need to stay away from the hospitals because that's where the money, the costs go up. And I'll give you a perfect example. If I take a patient to a surgery center that's freestanding, the cost per hour for the whole case, for example, tonsillectomy, would be under 3000 for the whole thing. If I took them to one of the major hospitals in the city, it would cost $7,000 just to walk into the OR without anesthesia, without the, equi- you know, the, um, the medications. We're talking about ten or 15000 versus three. So, I mean, these are the difference in cost variations. If you go to this urgent care, like I told, like I mentioned before, it's $130 flat. If you walk into the ER, it's just to walk in the door, maybe $500 before you even get to be seen by any physician. So we're talking about huge cost differentials, but the quality is completely different. And I think we're moving towards a two-tier medical system where Obamacare will, will reward the big conglomerate corporate-driven hospitals, which will cost a ton, but give you poor care. And the competition would be the independent physician or, in, or small group practice, which don't have a lot of layers, but keep the cost low, and because they have to compete, are going to keep the quality high. And as long as we're allowed to stay open at this point, because I have question marks about whether that will be the case, um, like let's say Massachusetts, for example, which has the universal health care, the way their system is set up, in order for you to practice medicine and be licensed in Massachusetts, you have to take their universal health care, whether you're a physician assistant, a, a nurse, doctor, anybody. And that, to me, is restriction of trade. But eventually, they may, it may come to that. If doctors don't want to play this game because the system is so horrible, they may make us do that. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, I mean... If, if they see, because it seems to me like the model you're doing and some of these other doctors are becoming more creative, I think that's yeah. going to work and surpass what they're doing. And I don't think they're going to put up with it, but that was going to be my next question. See, this is where the power of the patient comes in. You know, this, we haven't yet reached socialized medicine. And as long as people vote with their pocketbooks and their feet, then they may be able to change this whole thing from rolling out. You see now that they're backtracking on the uh, on the exchanges and the uh, accountable care set up between the doctors and the hospitals. Mm-hmm. It's because people aren't joining them. That's that's how you beat this whole beast. Don't play the game. The game is not rigged. I'm sorry. I should say the game is rigged, and you can't win. So the only way you can win is not to play it. I choose to do it in my method, seeing my patients the way I deem that I want to see them. And the patients now need to decide, do you really want to enter a system where you're going to have to wait weeks to see an ENT? It's going to cost you more money. And good luck if they are able to treat you the way that you think you should be treated versus coming to see me the next day. If you don't have an insurance, we make a deal with each other. You get what you need to get done in a, in a cost-efficient and 
friendly atmosphere, and you're better, but your pockets are still intact. This is the difference that people need to, they don't think they know this. I think that people think they're stuck in the system, and unfortunately, I think the media has driven this whole mantra that healthcare is so exorbitant, you'll be put in the poorhouse if you get sick. That's not true. If you go into the hospital system, tens are high that that'll happen. But if you actually start looking, go to aapsonline.org. It gives you a list of doctors across the country who actually work with the patient, take fee for service. It's, you know, some of them don't take insurance at all, but it's a flat rate. Or some people even barter like I do. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of ways to do it. And we're talking about board-certified, excellent physicians. These aren't people who are, you know, going to medical school that no one's ever heard from. These are people who actually love what they do but don't want to sacrifice their patient care to play this game. And as long as we stop feeding this beast, it, it cannot get off the ground. I mean, they're trying everything to make this thing work. It's never going to work. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it totally, it's about, I said at the beginning of our, of, our, of our talk here that it was about control. But think about it. In order to know how much money you make so you can get a subsidy, you're going to have to give up information like your Social Security number, your tax ID number if you're an employer. You have to give up your tax returns for it keeps for 10 years, apparently. And Catherine Sebelius and everybody in the government will know under these electronic medical records what your disease state is. You know, there's something called meaningful use, which I find repulsive, but actually ask questions, things like, do you have a gun in your home? Have you ever wanted to hurt yourself? Have you been a victim of, you know, domestic abuse? Which are totally reasonable questions in the right, you know, in the right you know, purview, but I'm an ENT. I don't need to know these things. Or if I were a pediatrician, I don't need to know some of these things. If I were a psychiatrist, I would need to know. But this is all data gathering, and it's going into a system that's transparent and unfortunately is, I think, vulnerable to people hacking into it. So if you, for example, decided, you know, unfortunately you had a death in the family, you didn't feel very good, you wanted to take an antidepressant that one time, well, that would be entered into the system, and you would have that medication linked to you. So who knows? That may be down the road if you were ever taking an antidepressant. You couldn't get a job for the government, or you couldn't get a, a handgun that you legally were allowed to get. Mm-hmm. This is what I mean by the system can be used against you, even though you're innocent. That's my problem with this healthcare medical record system. It's not about healthcare. If you think, if you know that the IRS is accessing it, the Human Health Service is accessing it, who else is accessing it? Is it CIA, FBI, who else? Right. You have to really question these things now. And your health information is all you have. You know, once you once that's lost, somebody can take advantage of your future, you know, control you. You can't get the job you want. You can't get the loan you want. I just have a... I'm a little bit dubious about safety, of, of, of personal safety and personal information. And medical information is extremely sensitive. So I just question that. Okay. All right, Dr. George, well, we're coming up on our last break. Listeners, our guest today, Dr. Elena George, and we're discussing the truth about Obamacare and the future of healthcare. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show.
take comfort in God's Word on a daily basis. But what about the ones who cannot hear these precious words of truth? Where would I find hope? Imagine God's Word in the tongue of those who thirst for the same hope you enjoy on a daily basis. You can help them experience the same blessings you take for granted. This book is like a GPS system. I turn to it to chart my course as I begin each new day. Help someone hear God's Word for the first time by becoming a Wycliffe Associates volunteer and take part in the goal of Vision 2025, helping start a Bible translation in every language that needs one by the year 2025. Find out more by calling 800-THE-WORD. Who will show me the way? Make a difference and help share the hope of God's living Word. Call 1-800-THE-WORD. That's 800-843-9673. Or go to our website at WycliffeAssociates.org and find out how you can become a Wycliffe Associates volunteer. Don't be stupid with your skin, it's the only skin you're in. Know what's good and bad to do, find the right and wrong for you. It's time you learn what it's about, cause indoor tanning is out. UV lamps from a tanning bed, they can turn your skin beet red. Wrinkles come from the UV light, and eight spots make you go frightful sight. With UV light, it gets worse. Skin cancer is a wicked curse. Don't be the one that's tanned and dead. Use your brain, use your head. It's time you learn what it's about. Cause indoor tanning is out. A message from the American Academy of Dermatology. Welcome back. You're listening to the True Seekers radio show. Today, our guest is Dr. Elena George, and we're discussing the truth about Obamacare and the future of health care. Dr. George, I read, I was reading one of your articles online, and you were talking about Medicare exists in name only. Can you elaborate on this? And also, how is Obamacare going to affect Medicare? Well, Medicare was initially designed that you could pay in as you worked and that money would accumulate and you'd be able to access it for your health care um, when you were, you know, when you aged into it. Right now it's a Ponzi scheme. I think that's the only way you can describe it, that people are paying into the system and barely getting anything back from it. Under Obamacare, it's basically just been exacerbated. Um, I guess about two months ago, maybe three months ago, they passed this rule or a regulation that hospitals, for example, would only be paid um, if they, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of something called diagnostic related group, um, a DRG, but that they, they do pay hospitals, Medicare patients um, are paid, sorry, I should say, Medicare, hospitals are paid for Medicare patients based on what the disease is, based on the number of days they're in the hospital. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you have pneumonia, they'll pay for maybe two weeks. And then they figure an average patient will be discharged, and anything after that, the hospital will have to write off. Under Obamacare, there's a new rule that if you get readmitted within 31 days with the same diagnosis, the hospital won't be paid for that. Well, if you have a disease like congestive heart failure, 
or emphysema, those are chronic disease or diabetes, those are chronic diseases, and you can actually be readmitted with no fault of anybody. It's just the the way the disease runs. Well, now hospitals are not going to have the impetus. The fiduciary responsibility in the hospital is not to the patient anymore. It's to their bottom line. So they may try to treat you with an outpatient longer than they should. You may end up coming in in more critical conditions. A lot of things that happen because of money now, where before it was because it was patient care. And these accountable care organizations where they have under Obamacare doctors are satellites at the hospitals. We discussed that before where they're employed. Well, there are other doctors who actually are tied to the hospital in terms of treatment. So the patient will go to an outpatient doc when they actually maybe should be admitted, but they're not going to be admitted because the hospital will lose money. So you're managing a sicker patient in an environment that may not be all that safe, technically, but you just do it because that's what the government is driving. So it's driving less, again, less individualized health care, more one-size-fits-all. And as the older you get, the sicker you get, the more you're going to be pushed towards hospice and palliative care, not treating with all the bells and whistles because it's too expensive. And I take exception to that. I mean, as a doctor, I'm not thinking about the cost of something. I'm thinking about the best care for the patient. And I think it should come, the family and the patient should have the final word on whether or not a certain procedure gets done. Not the government, and certainly not the hospital and their bioethics committees. But that's what's happening. We're moving away from individuals who are centralized medicine, bureaucracy, you know, uh, planning, um, and it's not going to be conducive to healthcare as Americans have known it. And if we want to emulate the British system, then we're going to start talking about things like the Liverpool pathway, which is what they do. When they decide that they that a patient should not be, you shouldn't use heroic measures, and you want to euthanize the patient, what they do there is they stop feeding them and they stop giving them water, and that's what they do, and that's an actual pathway. Now, if we're trying to emulate that system, any doctor who, who practices medicine the way they should should never be a part of this kind of system. But that's not what they're they're touting. They're touting about how they're going to have 30 million more people and it's going to cost less. We already see that's not working. California, for example, the cost of in, but the premiums have risen, what, about over 100%? Mm-hmm. In some states, 400%. Some, I've noticed now, I read recently that United Healthcare is now pulled out of the California market altogether, which means now there's going to be less insurance plans to compete. So by definition, you're going to have probably higher premiums because no one's going to be, there's not going to be a free market. So these exchanges aren't working the way they were designed to work. In Oregon, there's only one insurance company in the exchange. Tell me how that's going to save people money. So it's, this whole system is just totally ridiculous. You've added more children to their parents' insurance plan. These are people up to 26 who are healthy, who would actually buy insurance and lower the premiums to everybody else because there'd be a shared risk. Now you have more, you have sicker, older people in the insurance pool, and by definition, that's going to raise the premiums, and that's exactly what's going on. You know, not to mention the small business part of this, because small business owners are running scared. They don't know if they should hire. So now you've got less people getting hired or they're getting cut to 30 hours. Like yourself, if you're a small business owner, 
Has that affected you yet? How would it affect you? How would you handle that? I had to stop. We're offering insurance, health insurance to my employees because they were, we were priced out. And it was costing us a couple thousand dollars, over a couple thousand dollars a month. And I have four employees, so it was pretty steep, steep for me. So we started things like AFLAC, um, which is like an independent supplemental insurance, um, which is a lot cheaper. It's not, it's not fabulous in terms of, you know, hospital coverage, et cetera, but it will help pay for um, health-related issues. Mm-hmm. So it was better than nothing. But under Obamacare, I'm not going to be much better off, unfortunately. And right. if I ever thought about expanding, I would certainly stop at 49 and not 50 because then it would be on. And, you know, that's really sad about this whole thing. You know, this, remember recently they stopped the mandate for insure, for employees to have, employers to have to cover their uh, employees. But that only helped the big companies. It didn't help individuals at all. So all of this talk about the rich fleecing everybody and how the middle class is suffering. Well, you know, they didn't do anything to help the middle class. They actually made it worse. If you have two jobs, you're going to price out of getting any kind of help paying for your premium because you're, you're making too much money. But if you, if you have two jobs, the IRS is going to make sure you pay what you're supposed to because they're going to be following you. They're going to be dogging you to figure out how much money you make if you have a second or third job. All of that's going to be captured now in order to make sure that you're paying into the system appropriately. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a major grid. There's no more working off the books. There's no more. Now I understand now why they stopped the lemonade stands and the selling, you know, garage sales because you can't quantitate that type of money. They want everything to be on the grid. That way it can be controlled. Um, I, you know, patients try to not go the um, prescription drug route, but in some cases people have to. How, how do you handle that as far as cost? How would a patient handle that? And how is that going to, how will that be affected with Obamacare? Well, as I said before, the way it's set up, it's designed to help drive people into prescription medication. And not even generic, but brand name. It's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, there are avenues, though. I mean, in Georgia, for example, if you get a prescription that's generic, some of them are actually free. So I would start off with asking my pharmacy, what's the, you know, if you have a, a medication, ask them specifically, is there a cheaper version of this that's generic? That's the first thing I would ask, as long as it's not something like a heart medication or something that's really you know, it's very sensitive. Mm-hmm. An antibiotic is pretty straightforward. A pain medicine is pretty straightforward. You know, use your judgment, but anything you can do to cut down on the number of medicines that you have to take would be in your interest. This is also a little pet peeve of mine. I think a lot of patients are on too much medication. And I've seen people come into my office with two or three versions of the same type of medication at the same time. So wow. I would go to the doctor and, and really start thinking critically about what do I really need? How can I get off of an X3, yeah, I'm on three blood pressure medicines. What do I need to do to get myself in better shape if I can start getting off of this medicine? So instead of waiting till you get sick, another little trick is, you know, try to keep yourself healthy. This is what it's going to come down to. You don't want to get sick. God forbid you already are, but if you're not, you have to do everything in your power to stay healthy. 
and that means eat properly, stay up genetically modified food. That's a whole other story, isn't right. it? Right. Um, whole other show. Exercising, getting off of soft drinks and sugar, those things just make you sick, honestly. Fast food, it's time to take, make a change. And that may mean not buying the extra video game, but it, maybe it's worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has to have skin in this game. And if you expect that the government's going to take care, better care of you than you can of yourself, then you've got, you're going to have a rude awakening. That's, right. that's the honest truth. Okay, Dr. George, it's pretty much time for us to wrap it up. So could you just give us your web address and how we can find your show again? Sure. You can reach me at um, drelanageorge.com, um, D-R-E-L-A-I-N-A, George, G-E-O-R-G-E.com, or on America's Web Radio and it's called Medicine on Call, and it's at 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Wednesday mornings and also by podcast on iTunes. Okay. Well, listen, thanks again, Dr. George, for joining us. Listeners, thanks for listening. And, again, our guest has been Dr. Elena George, and we've been talking about Obamacare. And until next week on the Truth Seekers radio show, God bless. 